Welcome back to the Meaningful Success Podcast. My name is Saya, and this is my dad, Wade. And today we have Emma in the studio once again, but she is sound asleep as normal. She's Emma the German Shepherd. Twitching her little paws, just sort of snoring away. So dad, yes. how has your week been, and what is your weekly win? Week was a busy one, a uh, really busy one from the standpoint of, of um, my work work. Um, had a lot of things going on there. But um, from the standpoint of my weekly win, um, I'm really pleased because uh, for those who don't know, we're getting ready to move again. <laughs> So we've gotten a lot of stuff out of our storage or really all of the stuff out of our storage type of deal and going box by box through things to see what do we really need? I mean, if it's been in storage for X amount of time, is this something I really want or not? And some of it, yes, definitely is. Some of it, eh, maybe not. But we've made a lot of progress going through a lot of that. And uh, so we're getting to the point where we can actually focus on actually packing rather than going through the old stuff that was packed. Yeah, yeah. So that's my win for the week. My weekly win this week uh, was, so yesterday, uh, and I'm still getting over it a little bit, but I, I kind of got sick with something. I don't even know what it was, some sort of a head cold or something. And um, so I wasn't up to working on writing. I was really wanting to get some writing done, but I couldn't do it. So I spent the day working on getting ahead on a bunch of um like client work and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and really just trying to bank time for, you know, next week. So I have more available time to hopefully work on writing and stuff. So it was a little bit of a future win or an investing in my future win, so to speak, from just getting stuff done ahead of time. Wow. So the, so essentially you were able to take some of the busy work or at least the drudgery work off of next week so you can focus on more creative stuff or, or is it just stuff in general? Yeah. I mean, client work. So like, you know, video editing stuff and, ah. and, and, and editing episodes of this podcast. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Drudgery. <laughs> the drudgery. <laughs> yeah. So so I was pretty pleased that I was able to get that done and got Perfect. more to go. But so this week is a little bit of a weird topic. And we've actually tried to talk about this uh before. And we ended up scrapping that episode because at the time it just wasn't really flowing, wasn't really working. But it's worth giving another shot today, I think. All right. Um, And that is the topic of whether something that you are thinking of working on, how do you tell if it's sort of out of touch or ahead of its time or groundbreaking or off-putting, all of this from a market viability perspective. Okay. Um, so for example, as we work on this podcast, mm-hmm. right? How do we know when we're working on any given episode, this is something someone would actually be interested in listening to, or this is out of touch or it's not really working mm-hmm. or, Hey, we're actually kind of giving some fresh insight on something that we're not aware of being out there already. Um, how do you figure those things out? And this was originally your idea for a topic. So I wonder if you can kind of illuminate this a little more. Yeah. And I was thinking from a standpoint of when you are going to market, you're creating things 
for consumption, whether that is online or whether it's an actual product that people buy physically or whether it is whatever. I mean, you're creating something that you're wanting to resonate in the marketplace or the people that you're wanting it to reach, Yeah, which is different than just creating to create. I mean, sometimes I may just doodle on a page because I want to doodle on a page and, you know, draw something here, or I may want to sit down with my guitar and play or, or create something that's nothing more than just me enjoying my time with the music. But that's different than if I was trying to write a song that I'm either trying to sell that song or I'm writing a song that I'm wanting to actually record and then market that for people to buy or for it to be like soundtracks for movies or whatever like that. So so you're trying to find something that is going to connect with the marketplace. And so when I looked at that, I started to look at various things that seem to be a little bit of conundrums when you look at it. So for example, back in the late 70s in music, the music was turning to Disco music. I mean, <laughs> that was kind of the the trend of the day and all that kind of stuff, the Bee Gees and all that kind of stuff. And yet one of the things that also came out during that time was the rock band Boston. The style of that music was nothing at all like disco music. It was it was a totally different kind of thing. In fact, I believe that there was uh, Tom Schultz was the was the lead lead guitarist and the creator of that. I think he even was discouraged or something from that standpoint, whether it was because he looked at what was going on or because people actually said, we don't think this is going to sell in the marketplace today because of what was the popular type of music. Yeah. And yet it exploded in terms of success, even though it was completely different than everything else that was there. Or I think about another example would be, would be like uh, take a Michael Buble or something like that, who stylistically is more like one of those crooners, like the Frank Sinatra's or the Perry Como, you know, that kind of stuff. It was more of a retro rebirth of something that used to be popular, but it really wasn't so much on the airwaves at that time. You know, sometimes it's surprising what connects and why and when. And so I'm trying to understand as I as I look at things that we, we're doing, because we, we're going to be building courses, we're going to be building other things. As you know, we're writing books and things like that. And you're, you're writing fiction books and things of that nature. Yeah. So I just was curious. I'm just kind of pondering, you know, when is something groundbreaking versus something that's out of touch? You know, when is something retro versus just plain old? When is something, you know, progressive rather than just kind of like pipe dreams? And, you know, or when is something uh, innovative versus when something's just plain weird? And how do you know what you're building towards so that it is connecting with the audience you want to connect with? This makes me think of... When I in my YouTube days, for those who aren't aware, I did uh, YouTube stuff like gaming content on YouTube for a good nine or ten years, mm-hmm. um, and it's been a number of years since then. But one thing that happened over the course of my time on YouTube and making those kind of videos was I was there for sort of three separate waves of what gaming content on YouTube looked like. Mm. Uh, And for those who aren't aware, like gaming content on YouTube, uh, I mean, to this day is a huge business. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it still is, but at one point it was the number one content on YouTube, which is the second biggest search engine in the world. Wow. Or at least it was last time I did research on this stuff that could be outdated information. But anyway, at the time I'm talking about, that was the case. I can kind of give examples of myself at that time and how I at different times made mistakes 
in this area or succeeded in this area. For example, I started on YouTube in 2009. And at the time, the standard was you just had sort of the footage of the game you were covering and your voice. And that was it. These days, the standard is that somebody, you actually see their face. There is footage of them talking. A lot of times it's like highlights from a stream or things like that, which I realize this is getting a little technical for some people. But the point is that- It's evolved tremendously. It has evolved tremendously. And that started really around 2000, late 2011, early 2012, somewhere in there. Hmm. The people who started doing face cam, where you see the person's face, it's mm -hmm. footage of them as they're playing the game as well. You know, there were people who did that before, but it was largely pretty innovative mm. at the time. And it became the new way things were just done. And so it everybody became the did standard. it that way. It became the standard because people were doing that and then they got huge amounts of success. And then lots of other people were like, oh, well, that's working for them. It'll work for me too. And then before you know it, that's just how everybody does it. Because and so it's no longer innovative. It's no longer innovative. And then you have people trying to innovate the way that they do face cam hmm. or innovating, you know, so there's all sorts of stuff there. I bring all that up because I think that's actually in microcosm how these things generally work. You can even see this in the world of like, books like young adult fiction, if you mm -hmm. look at over the years, you know, young adult fiction, it's a format that is very trend focused. Um, so when things like Harry Potter came out, then you had a bunch of other things that were wizarding or- That were things. trying to be the next Harry Potter. Gotcha. Right. And then you have Twilight that comes out. Yes. And for years and years, you have Twilight, they're called Twilight clones, right? Hmm. That dominated everything. And some of those- did get big themselves. And a lot of them were just trend chasing, didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, you have the Hunger Games comes out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because it takes time for books to be written and stuff, a year or two after that, there starts a huge wave of Hunger Games clones, hmm. you know. And that's how it is in that industry. Uh, a lot of trend chasing, a lot of clones, a lot of stuff influenced by other stuff. That's interesting because from a totally different vantage point, one of the things that I've struggled with, you know, in, in my professional career, I involved in in sales and, and coaching in sales and training in sales. And one of the things that that people sometimes really ask a lot about is they want to have a lot of competitive intelligence. You know, what are my competitors doing so I can be more effective when I compete against them? Right. And, and I'm not trying to diminish that, but what I, the kind of the stance I've had on that has been, I've seen people get so focused on what are my competitors doing that the next thing they do is they want to out compete in the way that that competitor does it. So they no longer acting in their own way. They're no longer presenting themselves as they always were, but they're now trying to mimic someone else or out compete the competitor. And it puts you in a follower position rather than a leader position. So yeah. On the sales front, I've actually leaned against that. And maybe I've just fallen into the trap of, from a creative standpoint, what I know not to do <laughs> on, on another side. And it's an easy trap to fall into, but it, it comes down to your priorities, right? Like, right. we wouldn't be having this conversation about just how do you decide what book you want to write because you want to write a book, right? True. Or what kind of music do you want to make because you want to make music? Like this mm -hmm. is kind of another step of specifically talking about you are wanting to make something with the goal of it being market viable. 
Correct. And, and that's an important distinction. This is the Meaningful Success podcast. And as we've said many times, our definition of success is not solely based in money, solely based Correct. in sales, all these things. So it is important to clarify that because we're talking yes. about a specific circumstance. Yes, that's true. But from that lens, you know, there is that question that remains of, well, how do I know if the thing I want to do, let's say, let's say that I want to write a book. Mm-hmm. Let's say I want to write a book and it's 2010 and we're in the peak of Twilight clones coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to write a book that's market viable, I have a choice. I can either write something new and that is not trying to focus in on this currently popular marketable trend. So you intentionally an outlier intentionally that I think there's a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. You're trying to be that one that's distinct out there. And that's what you see in things like The Hunger Games, for example. Mm -hmm. Like The Hunger Games was released in a time that was very saturated with Twilight clones and super, Mm. super, it's called supernatural romance, right? Hmm. Okay. And so everyone's trying to be Twilight. And then the author of The Hunger Games comes out with The Hunger Games. And it's a different thing entirely, totally different vibe, totally different thing. Still young adult, still Mm -hmm. has some of those tropes and, and, you know, love triangles and all that stuff, of course. Right. But it's a totally different thing. And that ends up starting its own trend. And it's kind of dystopian. So then you get stuff like Divergent and those yes. other things like that. Which which Divergent was a Hunger Games clone. I mean, it was it, those, all those series that came out. You know, you started to see a whole lot of young adult series <laughs> that used evil governments being overthrown by a bunch of ragtag teenagers in gotcha. this oppressive system, blah, 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 right? Gotcha. Whereas before it was my boyfriend's a zombie <laughs> or you a know? vampire or whatever yeah right but the point is not everybody who released something that was different than that trend actually succeeded right it wasn't like you had everyone who wrote books different than the supernatural romance trend becoming the next Hunger Games. Only the Hunger Games became the next Hunger Games, True. right? It is not a guarantee of success either way. You hmm. you're not guaranteed success by chasing the market trend or by going against or it. Or by bunking it. So that's an interesting thought. So then really, when we start looking at this, are we distracting ourselves to even be putting any attention to that at all? To a degree, I, I think so. There's people who, we talk about books a whole lot because we're both authors and that's kind of our- As is your brother, as is your your mother. I mean, we're all writing stuff these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's naturally where we kind of gravitate with these topics, but it does apply to other things. Like I said, to YouTube videos or things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, applies to all sorts of stuff. But whenever you see people who are cashing in on a trend versus who are inspired by a trend and come up with something unique, mm-hmm. you can tell a difference there. True. You know, I mean, there is no limit of terrible, terrible supernatural romance out there, for example, that came out during that era. Mm-hmm. And then there's books that came out during that era that were not, that didn't suck. Yeah. And it was because they weren't just a Mad Libs insert noun here, (laughs) supernatural thing. Formula, right. It was take, it was like, oh, I could do, I, I really like this trend and I have an idea of 
putting my own spin on it and doing it that way. Right. Mm. So there is still a place for originality for all these things. I think trying to predict market viability is kind of a fool's errand. It's kind of like being able to predict where all the stocks are going to go. Another area that I've consumed a lot of stuff, researched a lot of stuff is like the film industry. At one point I was trying to go into the film industry. Correct. And something you see over and over and over and over again is when a film is being made or tries to get made and then the studio wants to make it more market viable so they force changes or they and it makes it worse and it makes it worse right and That's it's like true. And those efforts to meddle those efforts to make something market viable ends up actually making it just flop entirely because what was originally something that had a lot of potential it just gets completely muddied. And that's not to say that every one of those films that was meddled with was going to be brilliant. That's of course not true. No, but that you but you do bring up a really good point because, you know, and then you even look and, and you hear about, you know, some of the famous movies that you've seen uh, and that you, that are probably now ones that you go, you point out to be like, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark or Star Wars or some of those things. And if you or watch some of those YouTube videos where, you know, James Cameron or or you know Peter Jackson or George Lucas or one of them are being interviewed they had a battle a lot of times on things that they felt like were important for their movie or f- for what they were creating that the studios didn't want or were questioning and by and large it was the ones that they battled and won were where you look back and go yeah that was the right decision yeah so artists making decisions about art rather than corporate boardrooms making decisions about art. Very good point. You know, that's why I was saying, I think there's a certain degree to which the market viability discussion, there's value to it. Obviously there's a point to it. Obviously it's important, obviously from a business perspective, but it is also in the same breath, a bit of a fool's errand because Mm. you're trying to predict something that is inherently unpredictable, inherently difficult to forecast. And while there are things that you can know and you can try and put out there, you know, that seem to, to line up with the direction things are going. And there are people who have success stories doing that for most people. Most people are not going to be the next Hunger Games. Well, and and honestly, it's I'm glad we had this conversation because it's something that when I when I'm creating, it's something I have to think about. You know, is this something that's going to be received? Is this something going to be that? And it's not that you don't ask those questions at all, but if you change what you're trying to do solely for the point of thinking that you're matching some kind of market need or some kind of market viability, some kind of model that you think you have to fit, you're no longer creating as you, you're trying to create as someone else or as something you have. And your passion's going to wane too. And that's going to play into it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, folks, uh, in the course of this conversation, we started with a question and realized that's a question we don't necessarily need to be asking. And and actually, it's helped me go through that process of talking about that. I hope it has for you as well. While my dad, you know, has... 30 years of experience in the sales industry and things like that. Like I'm not a marketing person. I freely admit that my education is, <laughs> is in the film industry uh, and media production. It's not in the world of business, but these are just from my perspective, from our perspective, looking at it from the perspective of people who are on a success journey, trying to figure out what do we do? What is going to be the best for 
the goals that we have, the experience that I do have tells me these things. Um, but obviously you may have different perspective and you may be an expert in that field. And we would like to hear from you. If you are, mm -hmm. you can leave us a digital voicemail at speakpipe.com slash MSP. Uh, and if you have something to say about that, we can, you know, potentially feature you in a future episode, or we're also interested in having people just come on the show as guests at some point. So yeah. if you have something along these lines you want to talk about or about various topics, as we are learning together, exploring together, going on the journey of pursuing meaningful success in our lives together. Excellent. So Saya. Yes. What was your weekly favorite? Oh, it's the weekly favorite. Well, my weekly favorite is a game I've been playing called Red Dead Redemption 2. And it's a game that came out back in like, I think 2018. Um, but I had, I just hadn't gotten to it until now. Uh, and it's really fun. I played the first one years ago. Um, it's, a, it's basically a game about cowboys at hmm. the end of the 1800s, outlaws who are terrible people. And they're just trying to make one last big score uh, as civilization expands and the age of the outlaw is kind of coming to an end. Um, <laughs> and it's really good and it's really fun. And it's been a nice way to wind down uh, at the end of the day and just chill and play some Yeehaw Cowboys. Cool. What about you? Well, I'm going to bring up something that I've brought up before, but I had just completed The Clone Wars, watching The Clone Wars. And if anybody on here who's listening is a Star Wars fan, you know, Clone Wars is an animated series. And so some of you may be turned off because it's animated versus live action, whatever. But I, in the first, I will tell you the first three seasons feel a little bit scattered. Third, third, three or four seasons feel a little bit scattered, meaning there's not a huge common thread between the episodes where it doesn't feel like it is. But once you get to those last three seasons, you know, uh, five, six, and seven, that is just a really good show. And in fact, the, the seventh season is just remarkable and really compelling. So if you haven't watched it, I really do encourage it. I, we just completed it this week, which is now opening the doors to watch the next show, which is Bad Batch, which is kind of a group of clone soldiers that were brought forward in the Clone Wars as well. And it's their own series. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yep. Well, everybody, that's going to do it for today. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Thank you. The Meaningful Success Podcast is Saya Clark and Wade Clark. The music is licensed through Epidemic Sound, and it brings back the feeling by Daniel Gunderson. If you'd like to leave us a message or idea for the show, or maybe like to suggest a topic, you can reach us at speakpipe.com slash MSP. Till next week, we'll see you then. Wait.